Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. This week's guest is no stranger to listeners of the Radio Brews News Channel, Ben Krause. Back in 2005, Ben convinced his partner Maria to move from the Tyrol region of Austria to Beechworth and open what was then called a microbrewery. Ben says it was a pretty bold and naive move for a couple of 24-year-olds with $15,000 of starting capital. However, 13 years later, Bridge Road Brewers is going strong and is a community hub in its hometown of Beechworth, not to mention a mainstay of the national craft beer movement. Ben is also a director of the Independent Brewers Association and is still outspoken on issues of craft, tap contracts, provenance and much, much more, all of which we canvass in this wide-ranging discussion. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Beer as a Conversation, Ben Krause. It's, uh, it's been a little while since we've had a chat. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me back. We always touch base whenever there's a you know, d- discussion about independence or things like that because you, know, you, you have uh, very strong views that you're willing to share. So, uh, But anyway, t- I mean, today we're talking just a little bit more about Bridge Road and uh, 13th birthday celebrations. Yeah, yeah, last uh, weekend we, we became a teenager at the brewery. I was explaining that... Uh, an a, an aging brewery is uh, is far more to celebrate than an aging middle middle aged man. So I enjoy the brewery birthdays more than more than my own. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't don't talk to me about that. Uh, I'm sort of uh, nudging fifty, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, thirteen. On, on one hand, it doesn't sound very old. And when we were teeing up this conversation, I went back through you know you know more than decades worth of emails and. You know, it was about 2006 that I first uh, came in contact with Bridge Road beers and used them in one of my tastings in Brisbane. And on one hand, so much has happened in that time and so much has changed. But on the other hand, it, it just doesn't seem that long, uh, you know, long ago. Which is it for you? Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, it it seems like a, a long time ago for me, but um, but it's hard to put a finger on anything. It sort of all melds into one. I think when I, I wrote you an email, um, just saying it was our 13th birthday I tried to go through and, and list some highlights and and have a look at uh, the things that have changed over time and it all becomes a bit of a blur um, which just means I, I am actually aging quicker than I thought and I can't piece <laughs> things together anymore yeah there's, there's lots of different highlights and, and and things that have happened along the way and and also I guess just uh, continual challenge of, of, of working in a market that um, that's open to change, which I, I guess gave us an opportunity to be, be part of beer. If the market wasn't open to change, then we would never have got a foot in the door. Um, but the, the continuing challenge that, that poses a, even an established brewery like our own. It, and I'd probably you know, direct um, listeners back to some of the other chats that we've had where we've gone in uh, about the foundation of the brewery. But I, I guess after 13 years, just looking back, you were originally training as a winemaker. You did a couple of vintages in Austria at, at that stage and you came back and you wanted to own a, open a winery originally. But I think um, land prices uh, or, or trying to find the right space didn't work, and that was what got you into into brewing. Is that a relatively tight summary of of how you got started? Yeah, I think I think it was um, there were there was some 
definitely I was keen to to look at being able to do something on my own in, in that field, um, but more just just reality setting in and realizing the cost of doing that or the the cost of of doing that in a crowded market as well um, that the wine industry was at at that time um, certainly had had worried me about sort of that being a possibility um, and that happened over a period of time uh, over probably the four years that I'd, I'd been back and forth in Europe and, and working in different countries and then coming home. Um, so I think there was a bit of that reality check for, for a young person, but then also um, seeing the opportunities in beer and then great, getting a greater love for beer and, and also realising that, that there's some real similarities in, in the things that um, make you tick if it was about making wine, um, making beer it is you know has some some of the same sort of benefits in terms of being able to be creative and and drink what you've made and and share that with people as well so um it was definitely that opportunity but also the challenge of doing something that perhaps hadn't been done before in our in our town or in our region it, it's interesting that you say that, you know, going back 13 years that the wine market was quite crowded and for a young person wanting to get started in that market, it was a little bit daunting. Do you think that we've reached that stage in the, the, the craft beer market? You know, can young uh, aspiring business owners set up in their dad's shed with some secondhand kit and, you know, and, and do it successfully the way that you did? Or do they need to start bigger these days than, than, than you had the uh, opportunity to? Yeah, that's a good point. I definitely see some similarities, and I guess some of the 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 pressures that might be associated with uh, with that in the industry in beer now that I certainly recognise as as a young person looking at the wine industry. So when I looked at the wine industry, there was investment coming from people with uh, with with plenty of finance and and good capital of their own, and perhaps coming from an angle where it wasn't make or break. So if they had invested um, let's say a million dollars in a winery, uh, they they could fund that themselves. And if that didn't turn a profit from day one, which a winery doesn't, um, they wouldn't go belly up, and they'd still be able to put food on the table and all that sort of sort of thing. And I can kind of see that would be what I did uh, 13 years ago would be much harder now for for a young person, just because the market is more competitive, the expectations from a, a brewing business to service um, and fight for fight for positioning on taps and and in bottle shops is much higher. That that could be a, a riskier thing. And and the bar's just been set so much higher with with much larger capital, better marketing, better distribution models um, than now um, than existed 13 years ago when it came to craft beer. But that said, I wouldn't say that it should discourage any young. Uh, entrepreneur from wanting to 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 open a brewery and do their own thing. I think they just have to be a bit more planned and a bit more careful and realistic about um, who they're going to service and and what their what their craft brewery is about. So there's definitely been great examples of wineries start in that that period with low capital, um, but they really focused on a niche and did it really well and continued to prosper and grow in a saturated market. So there's definitely opportunity there, um, but uh, the the opportunity would be less and the offering would have to be really special um, and, and very focused. I think having a niche within the niche and servicing that would be the answer to, to someone starting with a low low budget. And, and it's been talked about before, um, 
having having a venue and and a brew pub model is is also a great opportunity for someone who perhaps doesn't have the resource or the team to to start a distribution network and and afford wages for for a sales force um as we're seeing with plenty of startups at the moment it's hitting the ground with the large sales force and you know millions of dollars in in wages um in the first year before productions really got underway i'm just trying to think back what was the beer that you uh launched with was it the uh, australian ale yeah we had australian ale and i think our i think we called it old ale at the time but robust porter is what it is now um and the third beer we had was uh, was Beechworth Pale Ale, so that it was in that order. The Australian Ale being the the softer. Um, it was sort of our take at the time on on a Cooper's Sparkling style of beer rather than Cooper's Pale, um, and that Australian Pale Ale category. And that was all about uh, making a beer that that was um, balanced and at the same time. A really nice beer, but approachable and not too confronting for, particularly for the local market, was the reason of having the Australian Ale to sort of win over that that local um, local market that really, at that time, had never seen craft beer before. Um, and then we moved moved forward with uh, with Beechworth Pale, and and we've seen that market grow for Beechworth Pale strongly over time, and that's sort of our our flagship and most of what we do these days. What made you settle on? Because I'm just trying to think of uh, you know, over the last 13 years, that was the style of beer that a lot of uh, breweries launched on in the early 2000s. Um, but then we started seeing breweries launch you know, with with uh, little creatures really popularising the American pale ale style. We saw that, and then we've seen brewers launch on increasingly hop forward beers. Um, but We've started to see brewers coming back and having, uh, you know, like a nice uh, soft Australian sparkling or, you know, a, a, a summer style ale as a launch bid. Does that represent like a bit of a, a life cycle in, in, in the industry? I'm not sure. I think it's a, it's a hard one to put the finger on when we'll see different, I believe we see different models. So we'll see particularly when we see large capital investment, in my mind, coming into beer and perhaps a brewery being started uh, looking at a business opportunity and trying to participate in a market in a bigger scale. I think generally we'll see those types of breweries launch with less hot-forward beers, more of those reserved, more price point driven, um, so driven at you know, they're not too hoppy because they want everyone to to be able to approach it without feeling that that the beer is too confronting. But at the same time, using those hops keeps the cost down. Um, so, I think perhaps we could call it the Stone and Wood Pacific Ale effect. Um, perhaps people have seen that the success of that brewery and that beer, and and try to come up with a style that is similar and as popular to that. But I think there's more to that beer. Um, and that story than than just the recipe and the style of beer. Yes, that's that's a great part of it. But those guys really knew what they were doing when it came to distribution, and um, and they've just continued to capitalise on all the, all their smarts as they've gone down the track. So one side you can say, yeah, people are launching with those softer styles of beer. I would say they're the larger, looking for for being a bigger part of the market. Um, perhaps the investors aren't that passionate about craft beer if uh, you know it could be a bit remiss of me to say that but they could be just wanting something that's easy drinking and not too confronting and not too hoppy and 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 seeing that as the broad market rather than than a brewery who um who really really cuts out that niche 
um, I mentioned before. So, you know, if you look at, uh, it probably falls under stone and wood again, but if you look at fixation, picking out IPAs, I think that's a smart move. Um, they've launched a brewery not based on any of those soft flavours, but rather going for the hop forward. Um, we know the success of Pirate Life running on hop forward beers. Uh, if you look at the, the, the rock star of the, of the niche craft brewing world at the moment is probably Topher um, with Wildflower and, and that's, that's definitely a niche that he's launched with. So yeah, no, I don't, I don't agree that it's, you know, that's those softer styles are exactly a wave or anything. I just think it represents more the business model. So going for broad markets, low price points, um, lots and lots of tap points, trying to, trying to be big and, 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 with certain motivations, I don't want to speculate as to what they'd be compared to someone who's cutting out a niche. And I think if you were cutting out a niche, we talked about a young brewer before, you you wouldn't be wise to be making gold nails and Australian pale ales. You'd certainly want to focus on on a niche that wasn't well covered within those larger craft breweries, I guess. But, but I, I, I do note as well that that's a space that you've entered as well with the the beachy summer ale. So you know you you've got bling and you've got your your big bolder flavours, but then you've also identified that that's a space that that you want to be in at some uh, you know, level as well um, because you've brought out a, a light summery style uh, golden ale. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We and we have um, we have that beer for that reason, and it does fit that category. I guess we have a, a situation here where we have far more styles than, than would be appropriate for a national distributed wholesale brand. Um, and I think that's on the back of our, our venue because we've got a brew pub as well. We want to be able to offer you know more than 15 different styles on tap. Um, and then we end up having those styles in pack to take away. So you know, our Hefeweizen doesn't sell outside of um, the brewery on tap, but it's a really popular beer here at the venue and we bottle it as well because people like to take it away um you know we're just saying today our saison doesn't go on tap anywhere we've we've cut back putting it into kegs simply because we don't have um demand for it but we have it on tap here at the the brewery when we can and and we have it packaged as well i mean it's true yeah we do have our summer ale but we also have our mayday hills range of beers as well um and that I guess if I look at our summer ale, that was born from the Australian ale. So it's actually progressed further than... So it started as a much softer option as the Australian ale, and it's far hoppier than, than, than it was back in the day when we, we had that beer as an Australian ale. So it went from Australian ale to golden ale um, with recipe tweaks and a slightly larger hop profile to what it is now, which is summer ale, which is fitting more that um, soft pale ale with, with tropical... Um, hop notes um, that probably fits into that realm of what Pacific Ale has done and um, Mountain Goat Steam Ale is another st- beer that I see it's a strong beer in that in that category in terms of flavour profile and I mean, that, that in itself is an interesting uh, thing to note that over 13 years you can't just launch with a classic style like the Australian Ale but it sounds like you know you, you've tweaked and moved and um, I won't say chase the market, but you've gone looking for the right market for a beer that occupies that space. Yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, chase the market is probably uh, fair enough. In some point where you know, if, if we find a beer is really declining in sales um, and and people aren't aren't getting it, it's you know, it's it's silly for us to to keep pushing it or keep making it. Um, we do want to have that that breadth and depth of, uh, of beer selection. So 
reinventing it and changing it and and finding what people might be more into at the same time as not stepping on the toes of another beer, so not trying to be another Beechworth Pale Ale or, or covering the bling market. We've got to sort of find something that fits and that consumers want to buy. There's no point in making making a beer that, that doesn't sell. What's the thing that excites you most about the industry after 13 years? Um, I, I still I still believe we, we're part of a a really fun, embracing, open and engaging industry. I think I think that's been, and, and that's not just nationally, When whenever I travel as well, the craft beer industry, I guess we can call it the independent beer industry now, is still embracing. People still open their doors, no matter how big or small the craft brewery is. Um, seeing that, whether you, whether you go to a craft beer bar to drink, you can always chat to someone that's there and find a common interest um, and find that people are really engaged to to learn that someone else is interested in the same things they are. Um, and I think that's the same within the industry, despite you know, the comp- competition becoming greater and greater and more pressure um, being put on businesses financially to succeed, um, it still remains open and, and, and friendly and a, and a fun place to work in. And how about things that disappoint you about the industry? Oh, I mean, personally, uh, you know, I, c- I shouldn't say disappointed, just there's... Just trying to understand different takes and angles in the industry. I've talked about it before where I really feel this is first wave and, and I don't want to say that new, any new breweries aren't the same, but there was a strong way, right, wave of, of craft breweries starting with a real passion for, for making craft beer and, and filling not just a gap in the market for business, but a gap in the market because the, the products that were available and the choice and, and the complexity of flavours were pretty unsatisfactory in the Australian market. Um, and there was, you know, a real influx of, of craft brewing that was really passionate about shaking things up and being able to present Australian consumers with, with bolder flavours and, and a broader range of beer styles that weren't just yellow lager. Um, and more and more uh, in, in present day, I'm seeing perhaps other, other breweries being more motivated about a gap in the market or an opportunity to, to build a brand that can have an exit strategy from, from the outgo that's, that's all about revenue generation and how that, in my mind, kind of disrespects the market a little bit in terms of price. We see a lot of aggressive price points um, with certain brands and breweries aiming to, to basically sell their beer at cost or below cost um, really upsetting the market and creating a false market, and perhaps their driver isn't about, you know, making making flavours and beer. Their driver is about an exit strategy, and I find that disruptive disruptiveness a bit disappointing. It's not it's not saying that you know everyone with a low price is doing that, but um, history will show quite a few with a low price might be aiming for that. Um, so they're looking just to profit out of a out of a here's a market, um, look how much it's growing, uh, there's great opportunities for business here and that's my motivation, I want to make money and, and, and that's what I'm passionate about. So I think that, that shift from, um, from you know, language around share of throat and, uh, and you know, growth curves and all this stuff we see in the, in the conference, that the language went from talking about great beer and styles to more about um, market and and share of throat and profitability and all these sorts of things um, is a little bit disappointing sometimes that the focus all gets put on the the money and the return and the exit strategy. But that that's to do with the maturing of a market, isn't it? That you know when 
you know, the, the, the pioneers got started, they were trying to create a market and, you know, it really was about love and sharing that passion and in, in inspiring people to buy into the, the, the flavours and the passion that were created. As we are seeing, you know, 450 plus uh, breweries, brewers do need to have to start looking at growth curves and sustainable market um, shares and, and those sorts of things, don't they? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you have to be aware of it. We're far more professional now in terms of forecasting and and budgeting and so on. But, but you know, personally, my motivation and our motivation remain the same. You know, to to really, um, of course, we want to make money out of our business and and capitalise on on our brand and and our history um, in brewing and the hard effort that we've put in. But at the same time, I'm not just. I didn't come entering the market. Um, with an exit strategy, um, seeing how I can pick up as many tap points as possible so I can sell off the brand as quickly as possible and disrupt things. So, yeah, probably maturing of market, but I think, you know, that sort of talk just highlights uh, that I I got into brewing with a passion for brewing and not for a passion for business. So, you know, my understanding of the maturing of market is, is just learning as I go um, and getting advice along the way rather than understanding exactly what should happen and what could happen as, as markets converge and um, consolidation happens and all, the, all this sort of stuff, um, which, is, which is happening at the moment, obviously. Yeah, and I mean, I just sort of wonder how fair it is to point the finger at only new players because even watching, you know, like the, the trajectory that, you know, um, real pioneers um, and you know people who were in, in you know inordinately passionate about growing the market um, but watching the journey that you know breweries such as mountain goat went on where they you know were very early to market they were you know hands-on developing you know relationships creating markets but then um, you know as as the realities of business and the realities of growth and the realities of um, borrowing for expansion um, and, and new breweries came along um, they you know adopted um, contract brewing arrangements with Asahi were very coy about you know, acknowledging those relationships in the marketplace and, you know, that was partly because they were worried about how that would hurt the brand and, you know, so, so we did see some of the very early pioneers um, sort of, uh, you know, set the scene for some of the players that we, uh, we, we do see entering the market. Yeah, so, and I definitely don't want to be tarring um, all new players with, with that brush either. You know, um, there's, there's probably nine out of ten um, Ten new players have have more passion than than I did or or do have. So I don't want to take away from from all new players. I, I guess I was just pointing out um, some of the the business led um, players that we see coming into the market. And um, you know I don't say that that uh, that everyone that existed pre well, five years ago uh, had the same sort of passion and ideals. And I guess that's just just my opinion on on what. You know how my values line up, and they may not line up with others. It doesn't say whether they have a, you know, they don't have a right to do what they're doing. It's just something that you, you know, you ask what I'm not so excited about. That's probably the stuff I'm not so excited about. Um, you know, and and I, I reckon the the guys that you mentioned then they could they could argue that they um they did a lot and put in the hard yards towards building things. They certainly didn't start with an exit strategy or as far as I'm aware um, and, and come in and they actually really built a market. Um, and I think we're seeing examples come into the market now where 
perhaps they're not so interested in building the market as as a whole as much as they are um, building their brand um, through through discounting and, and just disrupting, I guess, you know, the sustainability of many of the smaller players. And it might be less less so for me, but we, we talked about the challenges of a young 25-year-old starting now um, who can't afford to give away their beer at, at whatever the keg price is that, that lots of the players looking for expansion are, are selling their beer for. They're selling their beer at, at far less... Than, than what a major would be selling their craft beer for. Um, how can a how can a new startup trying to do a little bit of wholesale on the side of their their brew pub or their venue even consider to be to be put on tap when when the the asking price for a keg of beer um, is let's say fifty dollars or a hundred dollars less than what it really costs them to make it. Um, I I just don't appreciate that in the market. I guess. Yeah, and, and I certainly wasn't uh, casting aspersion. I was just sort of talking about the evolution of business models, and uh, you know that it sort of makes sense to me on one level. I can see people would say, you know, that's the market, suck it up, and and yeah, I agree that is, and we and we do, and we find new ways to to deal with it. I guess um, complaining about it doesn't get us anywhere, but I, I I do you know like to speak openly about what I think, and and that's sort of where those where those thoughts come from and, and, you know, what makes me less excited about the industry. You know? Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah, and that, that was what the question was. So, uh, so uh, yep. you know, over 13 years, I mean, you've, you've had some, you know, sort of pretty major achievements over that time in terms of who you've brewed with, the awards you've won, the recognition you've received, the growth you've experienced. Is there anything that stands out as something that you are especially proud of over, over the last 13 years? I certainly enjoyed the opportunity to to, to travel and, and go do do collaboration brews overseas. I'm, I was quite not that um, the success of, of any of the Australian hop varieties had much to do with me, but I was really happy to be able to go over to visit um, Nogna in Norway um, when I was much younger and and be the first person uh, to work with Australian hops in Europe. I kind of think that's good. I have a really close link with the. Um, with the guys who, who were who were developing and growing those hops and being able to sort of represent them as much as I represent myself and, and my brewery uh, overseas is really good fun. So with that with the India saison that we launched through Nogna with Kettle was really great. Um, and also being able to do do that again and again. So actually being able to brew a, an Imperial Pilsner with uh, with Destruce in Belgium um, of being able to use Australian hops and, and make a couple of different beers together with Vera del Borgo um, over the years in Italy uh, and also done some beer in Austria and as well as doing some beer on a small scale uh, with Stone at their um, at one of their brew pubs in San Diego, again using Australian hops. So they're always really, really good to be able to, to go over to, particularly in the States, a really established um, world-leading uh, craft beer country and scene and, and be able to bring something new to it with uh, with some Australian hop varieties was kind of cool to be able to add a different angle to something that's already um, got every angle seemingly covered. So uh, what next? 13 years, um, you know, we've seen growth. Um, you're, you're well over the million litre uh, mark these days. You've got a national presence. What's next for Bridge Road? 
Uh, we've just continued to to um, to go with our our growth model. We we've got uh, in the past few years we've, we've set up business a little bit better. I think I talked about you know alluded to before. Um, starting as a, a 25 year old, uh, I had a business plan and I had some pretty clear objectives, and a lot of those still line up with what I'm doing now. But I don't think I was um, I was as planned out as it could be, and certainly couldn't envisage um, how things would grow and develop. I just didn't have the experience in my life of how a business with, you know, more than 10 people is run and operated and, and that sort of thing. So from here we continue, we've, we've had an organic growth plan, so always reinvesting our own earnings back into the business and con- maintaining control and ownership has been key to, key to what we've done without, um, without incurring too much debt. Um, so we have a plan to keep, keep growing. We've got some really good plans for... Um, extending the premises here, so squeezing more into our, our site in Beechworth, not really wanting to, to split production off into a, a warehouse or a, a grey um, industrial zone somewhere. So we, we're trying every way we can to to expand on site, to really have our brewing team be part of the brew pub and, and interact with the kitchen and the front of house and the admin staff that were all on one site. Um, I, I try to try to picture that as if I was a brewer, would I want to be, um, you know, having lunch in a lunchroom or on a milk crate out the back of an industrial estate somewhere, um, or would I rather be brewing at a place where I can see customers coming and when I knock off, I can sit down out the front and, you know, have my brewer T-shirt on and, and know that people are coming to have the beer that, that I made. I, I think that's really valuable. So um, that's a big challenge for us is, is continuing to grow as, uh, as we can with our own so uh, organic growth is a challenge and also um, keeping relevant in the market because you know, it doesn't take much for a startup very these days with really big capital and, and you know smart marketing and distribution and, and great product to quickly overtake us and, and for Bridge Road to be uh, to be forgotten or, or you know there's plenty of places that don't know about Bridge Road um, you know the majority of people don't know about us or our beers. Um, so yeah, continuing to grow, uh, continuing to reinvest in our site. Uh, quality is a massive focus of our own, so um, we're really focused on improving the quality. We're never never satisfied that we're doing um, doing things as best, or we we try as best we can, but we always know that we can improve. So we put a lot of focus on on improving quality. Um, we're also very fluid, so um, if we find a style of beer we make isn't keeping up with market expectations, we're, we're willing to um, to change and tweak and, and manage recipes um, and, and do things to make uh, make our beer fit better in the market or, or perform better or satisfy customers or ourselves um, even better. So just continuing what we've done for the past 13 years, um, there's, always, there's always a project, there's always expansion. Um, just the steps. The steps at this stage, at this age, cost more. So you know, uh, a, a small step uh, or a step for a new tank uh, a couple of years ago was a was a significant investment. Um, this year, we're investing in a new bottling line and uh, and a centrifuge, and um, they cost far more than a few new tanks do. So just learning how to manage that, you know, each step that we take these days is is a very expensive one, and trying to get the revenue and the and the the funds to do so can be a bit of a challenge and it takes time to do it rather than, than seek investment to do so. So so you're not uh, actively looking at partners to come in and help you out to, to help you expand? It's, it's it's still very much an organic growth uh, with with uh, you and Maria? Yeah, definitely. There's, Maria and I are the, the two shareholders. Um, 
growths organic. Uh, we, we are investing this year in in more probably more financial in one year than we have before. Um, but yeah, definitely definitely keeping it um, within ourselves. I guess I'm a bit of a control freak and don't want to listen to anyone. Maybe maybe that's the problem. Um, but no, we have a board to help decision making. Um, but they're not investors; they they're advisors, and um, and we have a CEO here as well that helps structure the business and give advice and and help us plan out capital, and so on. One question we ask all of our guests uh, is a thing that we call a pacey poser, which is if if you could go back over those thirteen years, if there was one thing that you could change that would make a real difference, um, can you identify any one thing that you would change at any stage? Oh. Gee, um, oh, I don't know. There's heaps of things that um, that you can learn with hi- hindsight. Um, you know, I think there's areas where we could have done better in terms of. Um, I don't know if we've made massive mistakes, but we could have done better in terms of uh, distribution and under- understanding how how important distribution is. And I think, um, you know, I, I mentioned Stone and Wood before. I think they gave us a really good lesson in, in how important getting your beer to everywhere is. is. Um, Young Henry's have probably done a really good job of, of getting their beer distributed well also. Um, and then marketing lessons, I, I, I look after most of the marketing now. So um, I'm continually learning how to do that better and um, and striving to do better on the marketing and, and making sure that our brand story is told and understood. Um, so probably distribution and, and, and marketing are two key areas that um, I probably could have could have done differently or better, but that it's easy to look at these things with hindsight and say, oh, we could have done this or we should have done that. I think the, the main thing that we, we need to continue to do and we've done well is just focus on, on what we believe in and try to lead lead change and, and be a leader in the industry and not follow trends or, or, or have a race to the bottom when it comes to pricing to really stand by our values and what we do and what we value all the time and hopefully we come out on top. With all the with all the competition and consolidation that's happening at the moment. Now, one last uh, question before before we go. Um, you were a, a champion of the family-owned tag that you put on your own labels, and uh, now you're working uh, on the as part of the IBA um, with the Independence uh, Beer logo. How important do you think that statement is to the you know near future of craft beer? Um, I think it is very important as long as we continue to communicate it and uh, and get people on board with understanding what it's about. So there's a plan from the IBA to go forward and um, IBA hat on now before, disclaimer before was definitely um, Ben Krause and Bridge Road Brewers, <laughs> so IBA hat now. Um, you know, I'm quite passionate ar- around transparency. You, you mentioned, you know, some, some things about past Mountain Goat before and, and some of the things that weren't made clear. Um, I push very heavily um, around those sort of things and I guess it's hard for me because that aligns with our brand and, and what we do but I also think the industry um, for the for the betterment of the industry um, transparency and, and allowing people to to have trust without having to research and make judgment um, on on whether something is what it claims to be um, is, is really an important part of, of building our market and building consumer confidence and trust in in beer, um, in craft beer, and I think this in independence deal is the first step towards that. So, really differentiating the you know the media attention, aside from um, uh, your good show and and the other beer specific um, media that we have, I, I think there's been some really good um, 
media coverage and, and awareness generated through the launch of, of the independent seal. We've seen it on a, a couple of TV programs sort of talking about who owns what. And I think the evidence from that is some people will never care um, where their beer comes from um, as long as it, it, it costs the right amount and tastes a certain way. That's what their driver will be. But there are so many people that really value um, who makes their products, where it comes from, and they want to understand a little bit about where their money's going. Um, so I think it'll become more and more and more important. And we'll, we already do see it across um, so many industries and so many products, um, and that'll only continue to grow. So I see this as long as as long as we get a good uptake, and I think I've, I've been commenting a little bit uh, on some Osbury's News posts on on Twitter, saying that there there is uptake of it already. Um, and as long as we see more and more people championing it, um, it will turn people's perceptions and and hopefully just get people asking the question. I mean, the pressure I'd like to see uh, on the on the beer market in Australia is on tap points, and and I've talked about tap contracts before, and and how I don't feel they're, they're so fair for the, the Australian beer market. And I think consumer pressure is is one way we can go about sort of bending that back away from um, from multinational dominance to, to giving independents more access. And, and this deal just highlights a few more points that, that might get people asking question, hey, who, who makes this beer? Where does it come from? What's the backstory? And when they see that independence uh, logo on there, they know they can have more confidence in... in in that product, then I'm going to continue working with with the IBA um, for as long as they'll have me there to to continue to nail down what that symbol means and how we can take it further to to give consumers greater confidence. Awesome. Well, Ben, that's as uh, good a place as any to finish this uh, chat. But uh, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News and congratulations on 13 years. And uh, look forward to seeing uh, Bridge Road continue for another for another 13 at least. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Um, that's a long time into the future. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like also to say thanks uh, to the listeners and uh, and the consumers. I, I, I'm very appreciative of, uh, of people who buy our beer and have managed to allow us to uh, to stay in business for 13 years. So um, it's not about uh, not just about Bridge Road and what we do. It's about uh, consumers and the fact that they're willing to go to work and earn money and, and spend that money on our beer and also the support that um, we get from our industry, so other brewers and also yourself um, and other beer supportive or beer focused media outlets that are really out there spreading the, the word of beer and, and, and getting the conversation happening, um, as you say, beer's conversation. So um, big thank you to everyone that, that, um, that has helped us along the way. Terrific, Ben. Hopefully we'll uh, chat again very soon. Cheers, mate. We might see you at uh, BrewCon. You absolutely will. And that was Ben Krause. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can also find the Hot Products Australia crop report in the show notes as well. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener 
And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the Letter of the Week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. Thank you.